Well, as I advertised, we're going to be talking about Jonah this week. The well-known, much-loved, much-debated story of Jonah. The clever people will try and tell you, oh, it couldn't have happened. But those who just believe the word of God will tell you, yes, this is yet another true story, miraculous story in the word of God. For me, it happened as it says. Bit of background, Jonah is a prophet who um, prophesied during the reign of King Jeroboam II. Uh, he came after Elijah, but before Amos and Hosea. Jonah's the only prophet in the Old Testament that God flat out told to go and preach to a Gentile city. And not just any Gentiles, but it was the city of Nineveh. Nineveh, which was the Assyrians, these people who were extremely cruel towards Israel and who had caused Israel a lot of problem in the past. So when God told Jonah to go and prophesy <laughs> to Nineveh, these enemies of Israel, it wasn't such a nice story at all. And to top it, all, top it off, Nineveh was about 1,200 kilometers away, which in our language is just from here to Cape Town, and it's a, a day's travel by car. But in Jonah's case, traveling on the Pony Express or on his uh, Shanks Pony, it probably would have taken him a couple weeks to get there. So you can just imagine the turmoil that he's trying to prevent himself going through for weeks to have to uh, face this total onslaught of this extreme enemy. So as we know from the story, he runs away in exactly the opposite direction to, of Nineveh to Tarshish. And Tarshish was probably in modern day Spain. That journey would have been about four times longer than going to Nineveh. So it wasn't him taking the shorter path. <laughs> he was going considerably further to get away from this, uh, this commission that God had given him. So we know the story, this blatant rebellion leads Jonah on a not-so-fun boat ride, a bad storm happens, the sailor costs cast lots, and they identify Jonah as being the cause of this horrific storm. He then confesses up and tells everyone it's his fault because he's running away from the God who made the storm and all the rest of it. And he tells them, throw me into the sea and everything will be right. They don't want to do that, but they do it. And after they throw him into the sea, the sea calms down. When they tossed him overboard, the Lord provided a great fish. And that's what the Bible says. It says a great fish. It doesn't speak about a whale. I think a whale is a mammal, isn't it? This is a great fish. It's a, the word in Hebrew is great, massive, extraordinarily big. And the word in Hebrew for fish is fish. So it's just a huge, big fish. And he spends three days inside this great fish. And we read the prayer he prayed while inside in Jonah chapter 2. And we're going to read it together. If you've got your Bibles, I'm now reading from Jonah chapter 2. Verse 2, he said, In my distress I called to the Lord, that's Yahweh, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, 
I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Not such a pleasant place to be. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Yahweh, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Isn't it amazing, the gospel message that's even coming out of Jonah? Those who cling to worthless idols, idols of their own doing, idols of their own making, their own righteousness, those who try to achieve uh, um, acceptance by God of their own means, they forfeit, they give up the very grace that could be theirs. Verse 9. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. And then he says, salvation comes from Yahweh, from the Lord. God then tells this great fish to throw Jonah up. Just imagine standing on the rocks one day, you fishermen. How many of you fish? You're standing on the rocks fishing there, and suddenly you see this this enormous fish. I mean, you've never seen one this big before. And it sort of beaches itself. And as it beaches itself, it vomits a whole lot of gunge out. And in the midst of that gunge is a guy splattering and spurting. And suddenly this oak stands up and the fish sort of waggles its way back into the surf. I mean, just imagine the story you've got to tell your family for the rest of time. Anyway, this God commands the fish to spit Jonah up. And Jonah then goes to Nineveh, tells them to repent, and the whole city believes Jonah and repents. The first global city revival takes place. And as we read the story, we find that Jonah wasn't too happy about that. Jonah's actually angry with God. It doesn't make sense. He goes to the city, he preaches against the city, the city repents, God forgives the city, but Jonah's angry. See, he's hoping that God's going to call fire down on everyone. So then we read Jonah has a pity party, and God tries to show him and teach him his compassion towards mankind with a plant. He gives him shelter, but then we read there's a worm. <laughs> and the worm consumes that plant. And the story doesn't end well either, but we'll look at that a little bit later. Jesus refers to Jonah a few times in the New Testament. One of those times is Matthew chapter 16. I want to read that. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Verse 4, Jesus says, 
a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus left them and went away. In Luke 11 and Matthew 12, that sign of Jonah about which Jesus spoke is very obvious. He clearly refers to his own death, burial, and resurrection. Here's a little tip for you. If you ever hear of a ministry advertising signs, wonders, and miracles as an enticement for you to come to those meetings... Run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. For they are only after your money. Jesus said it's a wicked and an adulterous generation that looks for a sign, looks for a miracle. How often on our flag, on our post and on our electricity boxes and wherever they spatter these announcements all over town. Come to this crusade, come to this meeting, come to this person, this famous one from South America or this one from there or that one. Signs, wonders and miracles. Some good advice. Don't go anywhere near. They after your money. <laughs> Okay, just a little tip. So Jesus referred to Jonah. Let's have a look at now some lessons like we always do out of these passages. Lesson number one. Don't get too comfortable in life. How many of you are comfortable right now? Some of us are trying to get comfortable after COVID. I mean, COVID got all of us uncomfortable. For some of us, we haven't yet got back into comfort zones because we're not quite normal. For others, we're sort of sliding back into comfort zones. I think the message from Jonah to me is, don't ever just get too comfortable in who we are and in what we're doing and where we are at. Because we see Jonah being very comfortable. Jonah going about normal life. He was a prophet to the, to the Hebrew people, to the people of God. That was his calling. That's what he did. And then we read in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah's a prophet in a nation he's proud of. And then God comes along and rattles his cage, like COVID rattled our cages. And God tells him to go somewhere he would never, ever want to go. Jonah has good earthly reasons why. And I've explained some of them. There were no friends in Nineveh. They were brutal. They were anti-Israel. They were there to kill and to destroy the people of God. Oftentimes in life, God moves us out of a place of comfort. And it's never just for nje. It's for a reason. It's not just because. COVID was not just because. I didn't lose my job just because. My company didn't go down just because. My relationships weren't stressed just because. 
There's a reason with every single thing our sovereign God does. When God asks us to step up or to step out, it's seldom easy and it's seldom fun, but at the end of it, there's always a reward. What has God told you to do? How has God come along and rattled your cage? Perhaps perhaps with that beggar that really irritates you. You know that one that just keeps coming back? And every time he comes back, there's something inside here that just, you know. When is this guy finally going to not come back again for whatever reason? When is that politician going to finally succumb to the anger of someone else besides me? (laughs) And yeah, God is telling me to turn the other cheek. He's telling me to give to everyone who asks. He's telling me to love my enemies, you know, to bless those who persecute you. I can't tell you what goes through my heart and mind every time I see the CIC, (laughs) you know, about whom I'm speaking now. The red man, Teletubby. What goes through my heart and mind is not good. (laughs) And what does God tell us? See, we mustn't get too comfortable. Comfort's not a good place to be. We need to be on the edge as we take his word and daily apply that to our lives. Don't get too comfortable. Jonah teaches that. Lesson number two, don't try and run. It's never going to end well. Run away from that issue. Run away from that thing that God is telling you to do. Run away from the convicting, <clears throat> the, the voice of the Holy Spirit as he's led you towards this truth. Run away from that like Jonah ran away and it's not going to end well. Jonah flat out doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to do what God tells him to do. He doesn't want to go through all of that stress. He decides the best thing to do is to leave Israel now completely and go in the opposite direction. Again, probably in modern day Spain and a lot further than Nineveh. But what happens? He pays for it. It costs him to run away. He was so determined to flee. He had to pay to get on a ship to take him in the opposite direction. It ends up endangering the lives of all of those on board that ship with him. And all just so he doesn't have to obey God. Friends, don't try and run. Don't try and hide. It's going to cost you. Just do what the book tells you to do. See, disobedience is a big deal. Disobedience has spiritual ramifications that affects both us and those around us. Sometimes that disobedience even affects the generations. It can affect those who come after us. As his children, we can try and run in our disobedience. Perhaps the good news is that we can't hide. It may seem that God is overlooking our sin because we're not having a Jonah experience in that raging sea and in the belly of the fish. But we can never actually hide. Psalm 139, I love this passage, says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. 
If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. See, the reality is you can try to hide, you can try to move, you can try to go away either physically or internally, spiritually, with your emotions or whatever, but it's futile. God sees, God knows, he's always there. And the lesson for me is learn from Jonah. Don't try to run. Just deal with it. Third lesson this morning is that repentance implies action. And Jonah's perhaps not the best person to learn from, and I'll explain why. But we'll use the story just to illustrate the point. Jonah repents. We see through that prayer we read in chapter 2 of the great fish. And he gets spat out onto dry land. And then we read in Jonah chapter 3. <clears throat> Let's read it. Jonah 3 verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed. So this time he wasn't going to try and run again. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Again, you're on foot, eh? On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Repentance always implies action. God came, God came to Jonah. Jonah repented in the belly of the fish. And then he went and did what God called him to do. Sorry I ran, but now I've obeyed. The same message we see throughout the scriptures. Think of the New Testament, John the Baptist warning people in Matthew 3 verse 8, where he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So repentance means I do something about it. To say I'm not going to do that anymore implies that I'm going to do something about not doing that anymore. Repentance doesn't mean that I say sorry to God and then I go and do it again and again and again and again. That's not repentance. Repentance is producing fruit. There's something that happens. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Repent then and turn to God. There's this process of turning away from what I actually did and turning to what God wants me to do so that your sins may be wiped out. Changing my mind from my stuff to his stuff. Matthew 4.17 says, From that time Jesus went, began to preach. This is after his desert experience. He preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Again, I don't repent for a sin over and over again. That's not repentance. I've changed my mind. I might fall again, but I don't do the same thing habitually. That means I haven't sorted it out. Took quite an experience for Jonah to repent, and maybe it feels like I don't need to repent because I haven't gone through a Jonah experience, thrown overboard into a raging sea, etc. 
But when the word of God speaks, I respond with action. I want to tell you that it's simply not possible to keep repenting for the same sin. This is how we know. 1 John 3, 9 says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. So if you find yourself repenting for the same sin over and over and over again, and it just keeps coming up and it never gets better, I want to suggest that you may not be born again. Because if God's seed is in you, he's not going to leave you alone until you get rid of that issue once and for all. True repentance can only happen when I acknowledge how grievous my sin is before the thrice holy God. Repentance implies action. More than sinning against my neighbor in what I've done, I've sinned against God. Therein lies the issue that I've actually ultimately and primarily hurt the heart of the Father. And I deal with that. And then I deal with this. Last little lesson this morning is that God cares about people. And I think animals. I used to be a dreadful dog owner. I must confess. I mean, a dog was to be outside and, and bark at people. And, you know, that was the dog's life. But since I got a Yorkie, you must see the gymnastics I go through in order just to, to go to the toilet at night time. Just so you don't disturb the one on this side and the one on that side. That's completely hemmed you in. I've got to extricate my legs out, and I've got the wife in the bed as well. I don't want to wake her up. So you try and get your legs out between these two dogs without offending them. Lift the thing out, and then by that stage, your back's in spasm, and you've got a cramp here. You eventually get your leg because the dogs are in the bed with you. So things have changed. If you're not one of these idiots, I was where you were once upon a time. Do not get a Yorkie. <laughs> so Jonah listens the next time God speaks, goes to this vile, enormous city, and delivers God's message. You're going to be destroyed in 40 days. That's his message. Well, from the king down, the entire city repents, we read in the scripture, and we pick up the story again in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I mean, you could just laugh at this idiot. He's just speaking himself straight into a corner. 
You know, I knew you'd do this. And he's shouting at God. I knew you were gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love. That's why I didn't want to go. Now, O oh Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, like that kind of prayer is going to impress God. I mean, Jonah's, he's just like a spoiled brat. Chapter 4, here we see Jonah is angry. Why? Because God decided to have mercy. His nose is out of joint. I mean, one would think after all he'd been through, he might be a little bit more sensitive to what God was wanting to do. And he knew what God wanted to do. I mean, he shouts at God about it. Starts pointing fingers at him. This is your fault. Now I want to die. I was justified in running away. Pick up the story again, chapter 4, verse 4. But the Lord replied, have you got any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen. I mean, it's just like a little, little kid who's sulking, you know. <laughs> then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade over his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, I love this, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. And there he is right back into sulk mode again. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left from their rights, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned? About that great city? Jonah was more interested in his own ministry than he was in the lives of the people to whom he was ministering. He was more concerned about his own reputation than the salvation of that wicked Gentile city. He told the city God would destroy him. God saw their repentance, relented. In fact, Nineveh's repentance seems a lot more genuine than Jonah's ever was. Did you get that? The story kind of leaves us hanging at the end of chapter 4. We don't know what happened to Jonah. We do know that Nineveh went back into sin over time, but it's like a movie without a conclusive punchline. Ever watch those horrible movies that you don't know what happened? You know, it just sort of finishes, and you don't know, you've got to make up the story for yourself. That's Jonah. You, you don't know what happened next. If we focus on Jonah and miss the main thing, and what is the main thing? Jonah said it out of his own mouth. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. See, God cares about us. And yes, 
The scripture even mentions the cattle. I think that's the Hebrew word for Yorkie, by the way. <laughs> he sends us warnings through people, through events, for, through circumstances. He cares about us. He doesn't want us to die. He doesn't want us to go to a godless eternity. He, he provides opportunities, circumstances, events around, people around. He provides the shade. He provides the worm. He provides the prophet. He provides whatever just to get us around to himself, gracious and compassionate. And obviously we have his word. And so we are without excuse. Ach, we can blame others. We can blame God himself. I'm telling you, it makes absolutely no difference to the outcome. God will do what God is going to do with or without us. But his ultimate purpose is love for us. We, we love to talk about God is love. We don't like to talk so much about God is just. See, one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no excuses. Jonah's shut up. Jonah's out of the picture, you know. <laughs> and that will be for so many people. So my urgent request to you to do today is respond to his love. Know his mercy while you can. Otherwise, reject his love and one day know his wrath. Let me conclude. We learned four lessons. Number one, don't get too comfortable. In other words, don't just, don't just, don't just get comfortable. You know, I just think, okay, this is what God's word said, and well, I'm happy with that, so I leave it at that, and da 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 da, and I just carry on. Let's be like those Bereans who eagerly receive that word and examine it. Test it against the scriptures. Don't get too comfortable. Don't try to run. It's not going to end well. You can hide. You can try and hide. You can run. You can try and run. But at the end of the day, God's got your ticket. <laughs> Thirdly, repentance replies action. And do a better job at repenting than Jonah did. You know, do your repentance like the king and the people of Nineveh did at that stage. God cares about people, and yes, even the animals. God cares about us. God cares about those around us. God cares even about the politicians, as hard as that is to believe. God cares about those operating, wrong word. God cares about those sitting in Buffalo City, municipality. <laughs> Many of those. Don't start me. I just thank God for those, and there are those amongst you here this morning who work in government and who work in municipality, who represent Christ where you are. I thank God for you because you're the only, the only reason anything still works in our environment is because the people of God who are doing an honest day's job, and I thank God for you. So don't, don't, don't for a moment presume that everybody in BCM and everybody in the government and everybody's rotten because that's not true. That's just how it feels to those of us who are struggling with electricity that's being cut off and massive water bills and all sorts of other nonsense.
God cares about people. And let's be that lesson. I had a dream last night. Be careful when a pastor says I had a dream. That's another, that's another very, very, very definite sign that you must run. But my dream is not to tell you to give me money. This was my dream. I had an Asterix comic that I had to drop off at a lawyer's office. And the lawyer shared office with a chiropractor's office. And I went and parked, at this, uh, parked this place, but it wasn't really a parking. It was just sort of a place to stop a car, conveniently when I was running in. And as I ran in, there was this guy sitting at the front door, and he said, the chiropractor parking is down there. But I was in such a, f a flurry that I was, I was, mm, and I didn't feel like arguing with this guy. And all I wanted to do was drop this comic off with this lawyer. Maybe lawyers here should learn that Asterix has got lots of wisdom. Anyway, I turned away and I let out a string of very bad words. And I got into my car and slammed the door and off I drove. And next Sunday, there was this guy sitting in church. So I went to this guy. Now, I didn't know. He's not somebody I know. I went to him, and I explained what had happened. And I repented, and I apologized, and all the rest of it. And the guy forgave me, and he embraced me. And it was, you know, a kind of a, a healing time. But I realized again, I woke up thinking, what was this dream all about? I woke up thinking again how easy it is for me to lose my testimony to get the moon in over something that happens when I'm driving over people who don't want to help me over, you know what it is? It's so easy just to brrr. And if there's anything to learn from this ridiculous dream I've just told you, you know, God loves people. And let's not become uh, uh, preventative People, you know, people who are standing in the way of people finding out who God actually is and who He can be to people.